Welcome to the Arrest All Mimics podcast with your host Ben Talon. Hello and welcome to Arrest All Mimics. I am Ben Talon, your host. This is the Illustration Limited podcast celebrating original thinking and creative innovation. Design Royalty joins me today. Um, if you want to call it just design, I'm going to be joined by Creative Director of Style Rouge, Rob O'Connor. Uh, Rob is a bit of a hero of mine, who I only realised was the man behind some of my favourite designs of all time. A little while back, a couple of months ago actually, and I wrote a piece, and it was a sort of personal indulgence piece, about Blur's art direction over the years um, on my music project website, quenchedmusic.com. To be honest, I, I fell in love with the packaging and the artwork for the latest Blur album, uh, The Magic Whip, with the ice cream and neon lights on the cover. I thought it was a real standout, simplistic piece. Uh, I, I later found out that was actually art directed by Tony Hung. And in researching Blur's work and art direction, uh, it became quickly apparent that actually it was one creative agency who'd overseen all of the art direction for at least the first four albums, maybe even the first five. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on that one, listeners, but I, I grew up obsessed with Blur. For anyone that knows me, they're, they're, I still am obsessed with Blur. They're the band that they're the go-to band on my iTunes in the studio when I need a little kick up the ass creatively. Demon Albarn is a chief creative inspirator, inspiration, is that the right word, of mine, and in researching this piece, I, uh, I came across Style Rouge, of course, and looked up all the things that they'd done, and it blew my mind that these guys had, uh, had, had been fortunate enough to, to work with Blur over the years and shape an iconic back catalogue of artistic direction that, certainly for me as a kid growing up in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, was in, inspiring. You know, it's, I think everyone who's into any band with any depth of dedication knows that you know, you know that single, and you know that album that that came out when you were seeing that girl, or you know, you were you were starting school or whatever. There's a whole narrative that sits behind any band's art direction and the back catalogue of sleeves and posters and whatever else. And for me, certainly, I wanted that was the the crux of the piece that I wanted to write. I wanted to explore all this all this stuff. So in looking into it, I thought, okay, cause you know, fucking hell, Style Rouge, like the it could be the coolest creative creative company on the planet anyway I thought nothing more of that and, and continued to, to get on with my work wrote the piece, got it out there you know, Blur continued to revolve on my on my iTunes uh, on a regular basis and one night after work I meet up with Andy Cotterill who's a music photographer based in London who I'm currently collaborating with on a major a major work which we'll hear about a little a few episodes down the line and we get in. We get into the pub, and the plan is to sit down with our pad and pen, and, and you know, see where we're at and see where we're going with the project. Anyway, uh, gets chatting to a guy called Chris Krask at the, the at the bar. And Chris, uh, it turns out, you know, he, he's a photographer too. He's been around. He's photographed Bob Marley, The Clash, uh, all the guys in the previous generation to the the stuff that Andy and I are working on. Anyway, it turns out he's good friends with Rob from Style Rouge. So I think, okay, Style Rouge, Style Rouge. Hang on a minute, that's not Styler as you work with Blur. And he's like, yeah, that's the one, that's the one. So this is London, you walk into a pub and this is what happens. So, you know, I ask, naturally I ask for an intro. It's the, the way you've got to be cheeky these days to sort of get a foot in the door. And anyway, you know, Chris kindly does that for me. And, and then I'm meeting Rob on Shaftesbury Avenue in the Century Club. And we're talking about the, you know, the Blur stuff and how that came about. Uh, you know, we're going to be discussing the rest of the stuff that Style Rouge has done. You know, it's Rob almost voiced a minor displeasure that the the go-to pieces of work that everyone knows Style Rouge for are the iconic train spot poster and all the branding that came out with with that film. And it is, you know, it is what it is now. It's it's a, a cultural mainstay that everyone knows. I think the orange and white posters and the blur stuff. And when I, I'm sat here right now and I'm I'm looking at the book that Rob kindly gave me when we met in, in the Century Club and it's called Delicious, the design and art direction of Style Rouge and it's um, it's kind of design porn, it's, it's this book of beautifully produced images and a celebration of all the things that Style Rouge are doing and almost, you know, it's nice to look at where this finishes off and the work that they're still doing now, they're, they've moved really well with the times in terms of moving with technology, we're going to be discussing that 
we're going to be talking about why Rob thinks that awards are nonsense and old-fashioned, how the Blur logo came about, and how the early direction for the band referenced consumerism on a subconscious level, uh, Rob's fascination with the misappropriation of imagery, and we're going to be talking about why patience and creativity is like making a cup of tea. Yes, analogy for the day right there. Uh, And many other things, we're going to be chatting about social media and, and why market research along with that stifle creativity in, in many ways and why Rob opposes market research completely and has never never done it for Style Rouge. And for a company as successful as that, that speaks volumes. So uh, a lot to take away and we're going to be talking about why collaborative creativity is, is you know one of the core values that Style Rouge have worked on over the years, giving everyone their freedom but actually not working as a democracy. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the too many cooks theory uh, off the back of that and how they're going to be rebranding and working with the cause who are about to make a comeback or maybe they even have. I'm never up on the time so again correct me if I'm wrong on that. But, you know, to me, this is a real hero, so fascinating conversation, really uh, eye-opening stuff, and I apologise in advance for the background noise. We were unable to, to grab the media room at the Century Club, so we we sort of sat in the foyer and we had to deal with uh, coffees being made and people meeting and talking. Uh, but I think we got there, and I think it's kind of intelligible, so I do apologise for that, but this is Rob O'Connor from Style Rouge, and I hope you'll agree it's worth forgiving the background noise. So here we go. Enjoy, guys. Where are you? Where, where are you from originally, Rob? Um, I was born in Derbyshire. Okay. Um, okay. I grew up in uh, North North Kent, South East London, kind of thing. Socialised more in South East London, and and then I went to school at Swanley, which is horrible. It's only it's only well known now because uh, the comedian Mark Steele was always taking the piss out of it because he was at school, <laughs> the same school as me, a few years later. Um, that's where I'm, that's where I'm from. Yeah. So what then? And, and creatively, were you, were you always a creative person, or is it something you grew into? No, I was I was a drawer. You know, right from mm. when I was a kid. Yeah, as I remember that's one of my earliest memories. Really, is like drawing. My, my dad used to be the local pharmacy uh, pharmacist in the village, and uh, so my, before I went to school, I used to uh, before I was of school age, I used to just sit and draw in the back room and pass drawings into the chemist shop under the door. So I never actually told anyone that before but yeah very boy very boyish things you know like boats and trains and cars and things mm. but um yeah <laughs> yeah i mean so what about style rouge and so what was the what were the origins of style rouge did you did you go to college um i yeah i went to um brighton um which was at the time Brighton was the first year of being a polytechnic um, uh, which was a disappointment to me because I wanted to go to Brighton Art College uh, and it was, by the time I got there you couldn't buy a Brighton Art College sweatshirt or t-shirt, you had to buy a Brighton Polytechnic yeah. uh, and, and now of course it's Brighton University but that's where I did my first year, my foundation year uh, then I did a year in Coventry mm. at the Lanchester Polytechnic which is now Coventry yeah. University I believe um, and, uh, and then I finished my degree course back at Brighton. Mm. Uh, didn't didn't get on in Coventry very well. No, no. <laughs> didn't really want to be there. I've only been to Coventry <laughs> once, and that was to do a talk at, um, at university yeah. uh, about, about a month ago. So I don't really have an opinion on this. To be honest, my, my sole references of football to Coventry. <laughs> but the, the actual town has has improved no end since I was there. Definitely, it seems but, so actually, and that's what the guys at the uni said. Yeah. Yeah. And I was I was there at the same time as the the guys who were going to be in the specials were just getting together as a band. Mm. So um, again, a year above me, I believe, was Jerry Dammers. And, oh, okay. Uh, so he used to have his band meetings in the refectory. Yeah. And uh, it was, but it would have been two or three years until he started the specials. But yeah. Um, yeah. So after college, I uh, went to work at a record company, which was. It sounds very easy, you know, came straight out of, record, uh, out of college and went into a record company, but um, I'd spent about, I knew I wasn't going to be a first class degree, um, you know, student, um, but at the same time um, I was determined to do a job that I really loved and I, I could see people preparing for jobs that were actually going to be a bit boring. Mm. Um, and it was a big, big course, lots of people. 
Um, and I just thought this is up to me, I've got to try and make this work. So I, I went round to about a dozen um, companies while I was doing my third year to really get a portfolio out there. I got some fairly harsh criticism and I got some very good help. So I'd always recommend that to students because it's much better in that last year to not get your head down and think this is what it's all about, but to get out there and see what's what's around. And also, it, strangely, it did work in a kind of networking way because um, what happened when I left uh, college was um, I took a couple of weeks just chilling out, and it was summer. You know, you're, I'm in Brighton. I just wanted to be on the beach. I was DJing, mm. um, doing some private work. So I was actually earning reasonable money, and I just wanted to take it easy for a while. Yeah. Um, summer schools in Brighton are, are pr pr proliferous, uh, <laughs> so the place is full of Italian, Spanish, Swedish kids, on, you know, and they all need the, they all need um, discos basically. So I was sort of making money doing that. Yeah. And um, but then a job came up in the local paper for a designer with three years experience so I applied for the job knowing that I didn't have three years experience a bit cheeky but when I was in the interview I said look I haven't got three years experience I'll be honest with you if you want me to leave now and they said no no let's carry on and I got offered a job um, straight after that which was good and that was in a little agency in Brighton for six months. But within two or three months of being there, I got offered a job from Polydor Records. Wow. Who I'd been to see with my portfolio. Mm. <clears throat> Actually, to be fair, I wasn't offered the job, I was offered an interview. Okay. So I went up for the interview and then very quickly got told I'd got the job. So I had to have my notice in after only being in a, in a job for a couple of months. But I stayed for six to you know, to make it work for them as well, so they could, but it worked really well for me, and I was there for three years, mm. and got really into the idea, I mean, music was always my biggest first yeah, love. Yeah, I was going to say, where did that, was that always an no, inherent huge, thing? Huge. Yeah. I mean, I've never played anything successfully, <laughs> musically, and I've never sung or anything, but um, no, it was just about music, it always was, I mean, all my disposable income pretty much went on record since I was a tiny kid yeah. so um, the idea of designing record covers was really mm. really exciting to me and do you think that I, I would hazard a guess that maybe that accelerated the and actually bridged that gap that you, you know that you didn't have the three years experience but actually the, the love of it and the passion that you probably would have put into did you mock up sleep designs in your own time was that something you well did? that first job sorry the first job I was talking about was in Brighton and there was no music involved at all that was that was literally just for me to have a job. Um, oh, okay. So that was um, doing much more corporate um, mm. marketing type design, design agency work. Right, um, I see. But no, um, yeah, funnily enough, I think two or three of my projects at college were music related, mm. kind of deliberately. I think once I'd seen the people at Polydor, I realized that if I wanted to get a job there, I probably needed to do a major project um, that was music related it would be madness not to yeah um, so I, I did my major project created a band um, which I photographed and um, in those days video was in its infancy mm. so I couldn't make videos as such but I made a, an audio visual presentation um, designed a logo all that kind of stuff yeah um, yeah and put on a fake they were a fake band yeah. <laughs> Sorry about the racket. Do you know, I think since we started, <laughs> everyone yeah. started throwing knives or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And it's the same, it's very similar. Um, it's a very similar experience in, in the sense that my, my actual um, first kind of breaks into the creative industry were through my love of football. It was, that was what yeah. overcame my distinct lack of any clients in my, you know, my commission portfolio. But actually, I spent, you know, the hours I was spending in the studio, I would mock up up to the minute topical illustrations and actually send them to magazines, like, like when Saturday comes. Um, and actually, you know, they need people who understand football on a weekly basis. So that actually overcame that gap for me, or at least sped up the process. And I think it's important to, you know, just to get get out there and show people what you can do and speak in their language. Mm. Do you find the same as, as you know, heading a company like Style Rouge, do you find that the people you work with, do, do you often 
kind of strike relationships with people who come directly to you and actually you know put their cards on the table and go look this is what I can do and this is what I would like to do for you um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I, you, you took me off track. There. I was going to ask you which team you support. Leeds. Oh, right, I thought so. Very sadly yeah. these days. Well, no, it's a shame. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I, I empathise with you because I'm a Charlton supporter. Mm. But we, we haven't had the heady heights that Leeds have ever had, but that's another matter. <laughs> um, yeah, um, I, I'm a great believer in um, people. If people have got really good portfolios and, they, and they've got a good personality and they're applying to work with me, then... To me, that's that's half the battle. If they're very honest about what they can and can't do, mm. um, I, I prefer that as well. I don't like people who put you know um, levels of capability in various software programs, and actually the reality is it, it, it isn't that way. I'd rather have someone say, "Look, I'm absolutely shit hot at Photoshop. Yeah. Not so good on this. You know, not so good on InDesign. Whatever. At, at least you know where you stand." Yeah. Um, and to be honest, the last time. I, I mean, I can't remember interviewing for anyone to work for us for ages, um, partly because we're a smaller company than we used to be, mm. um, but um, partly because I like people to join the company through osmosis, I mean, if they come and help out when it's busy, and they make, might do a few weeks on a contract or six months, and then it's obvious if that person's working for you or not, and vice versa. Mm. Yeah, so. It's the same reason I, I often preach when I talk to students. I say, okay, look, social media is a fantastic tool, but much like um, much like anything else, I suppose, like computer programs, it has to be used as a tool to actually enhance what you're already bringing to the table. So get out there, go to London, go see people, meet for a coffee, meet for a beer. You, you just, you know, there's things that you cannot gauge through... Um, sort of formulaic approaches, body language, humour, um, the, the, oh. just the way you connect with a person and actually it's those early face-to-face meetings I went for um, in London that, that got me my ins into the business and, yeah. and it's the same, it's a, it's a, I suppose it's a business built on characters and personalities so, you know. The, the, prob- the only problem I, th- I find there is that the individual um, attitude to that is, is, not, is, is at odds with the corporate, you know, generational mm. social aspect, which is attitude rather, which is um, that it has become impersonal, and we are relying too much on technology. <laughs> We're relying too much on technology to um, control our, our communications with people. Mm. And uh, yeah, I mean, sitting down having a discussion with you now is the way I would prefer to deal with clients. But yeah. I, if I'm honest, I, I've got some clients who I've never met um, personally, and uh, which is really strange. Um, mm. And or if I have, if I have met them, it's only been once or twice. Yeah. So, um, but they continue to give us work, mm. which is even weirder. Last week I interviewed um, a guy called Doug Cheeseman, who was, not is, the art director of When Saturday Comes magazine. Mm. Um, he was my first client and I worked for him for seven years and that was our first first, first meeting you know mm. he, and he, probably, he actually spotted me in the street thought for the, for the occasion I wear a, a, a Leeds top and he just grabbed me in the street he was like there's only one person that's wearing <laughs> in uh, in Honor Up Park who's wearing a Leeds top on a Tuesday morning you know <laughs> so and you know straight away it's um, <clears throat> there was always that connection there you know and it's um I just uh, I, li- I like that side of it, but as you say, it actually people more and more tend to gauge things now on you know number of followers and, and digital statistics, which I find totally music, especially you know yeah. people, record record companies don't sign bands that don't have a minimum amount of mm. hits on their YouTube channel and what yeah. have you, and similarly the records don't get played on radio as yes. a result of it. I mean that, that's the kind of um, market research controlled nonsense that is actually going to stop people ever innovating again. Yes. I mean, the only good side about the the internet really and, and that kind of uh, that kind of uh, what you call it um, accessibility to everyone at every stage is is the long tail, the fact that there are small bands out there who are now able to make a living mm. selling 500 or something, 1,000 or something, rather than having to rely on some mega you know, record company trying to sell 100,000 or something, you, you, you know. Yeah. But um, anyway, that, that's a different conversation. I could talk for hours on mm. the subject of what's happening with music. Me too, and... Um, <clears throat> Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. Um, so I mean, I mean, as I said to you, I um, I came across 
style of roofs through your work with blood. Mm. Um, and, you know, I grew up as a kid in, I'm mean, 32 now, so I, late 80s, early 90s, and when, when Blur sort of started to, to break through, it's so funny because I think everyone has that thing with the, a band that they grew up with where there's a story behind every album cover, every single, you know, there's something, a moment in your life that you can attach that to. Mm. And um, for me, there's this whole backstory of what happened there with Blur. Um, and that happened in a completely different time in terms of the music industry, wasn't it? It was, I suppose, you know, I guess it was still in the days when when the band would have to gig and go out there and actually be in the public eye as much as possible. Yeah. To grow. Um, so how did how did that relationship start with Blur? Um, <clears throat> it was through Food Records. Um, Dave Balf and Andy Ross, who who were basically Food Records, had I don't know four or five. Releases them from other bands with other bands. Diesel Park West. Um, oh God, I always forget the, the the girl pop band they had, but uh, they were pretty good. They had a they had a couple of hits. It was Jesus Jones, um, and it was probably Jesus Jones that got started with Blur. That sorry, with Food properly, um, and uh, Blur was their pet new. Thing that they really wanted us to. They, that was the big. That was the big deal. It's like everything else was geared towards what happened with this new band, Blur. And uh, so there was lots of pressure on us in the first few months trying to come up with a logo. That was that was the first part of the brief. Mm. Come up with a logo. And strangely, we we didn't really come up with a logo as such. The, it was a symbol, um, which wasn't up to much at all, but the type that we ended up drawing in the middle of it became their logo. <laughs> and um, and it's been, yeah, that has stood the test of time. That's a rubbish answer. No, <laughs> no, no. But it, I mean, the, 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 yeah, the truth is, it was a, it was a relationship with Food Records and mm. Blur with their pet project, really. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny because um, I uh, I was reading some of the pieces on on your website, and um, what I found really interesting was the, the sort of bit when um, when you said that you're the person who hangs around at the end of a movie and. Watches, you know, looks at the credits because of, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, I, I resonated with that. That resonated with me because um, I've only just sort of worked on two independent films as an art director, very much a learning on the job role, but really enjoyed it. And having loved that experience, albeit only teams of twenty odd people, um, super low budget stuff. Yet the same thing now, I've, I've, it's completely transformed the way I see film, and I've got the same love of actually that that on set feel where it has to happen and it has to come together there, mm. and all those people with different different jobs. Um, I, it, it struck a chord and it made me laugh because I do the same thing now, and I kind of just watch these endless lists, and it's kind of like I love that about it. So, it, it, but but that then coming into art direction, have you always um, have you always kind of understood the importance of the balance between the sort of you know the everyone having their bit and the collaboration but also the individual flair is that something you've always understood and embraced at Style of Rouge or is, is it something you've just learned as you've gone along no I think <clears throat> it's, very, it's very, always been a very important part of our culture is collaborative creativity and it's funny some people just don't feel comfortable with it they feel that they've if they've been at college for three or four years they've become used to this uh, mentality that you've got to create everything yourself mm. um, there, I, you know, I've, I've always taught, well, I've taught for 25 years um, on and off various colleges, various universities. Oh, someone's calling nice. me. Doesn't matter. Um, and, um, <clears throat> and similarly, I've, I've been an external assessor and I watched courses come together. And particularly in that last year, there's, there's very little collaborative work going on, very few group projects, um, which for me personally is, is kind of alien to reality in the real world because um, there are always creative teams out there and it may be that we've that that's just our style I don't know I've never really learnt from anyone else um, but um, it's a terrible word and you've probably read it again on the on the website if you've read that same thing like brainstorming I do hate <laughs> it but at the same time if you sit down if you sit down with a group of your colleagues um, and really thrash through some ideas. You can have a lot of fun for a start, um, and you can throw up some really ridiculous things that you'd never think of, even if you know, even if you gave yourself a, a month working on it, you'd never. 
it's just, and again, it's that personal relationship thing. If you if you sit down and have a discussion with someone, a dialogue, something really good's going to come out of it, probably or potentially, that you wouldn't have imagined. Mm. Uh, whereas if all you're doing is working in an insular situation, that that's really important. The other thing I would say about about that individual creativity amidst that collaboration is that art direction is is always um, a little bit misunderstood and a little bit undervalued. Um, interestingly, you, when you say to someone I'm working as an art director, they'll probably presume you're working in advertising. Mm. And um, you can't study art direction, as far as I know, in most graphic design courses, because it is, it is essentially the art of telling other people what to do and doing yeah. nothing yourself. And that's what, people just can't get their head around that. But I don't, I've never had a, an issue with it. I've, I find <laughs> it a wonderful thing. I just, it's something that's quite new to me, but really, it's a real thrill because, okay, of course I love my own work, that's what I do for a living, but actually you, every day you see these amazing stuff and, and, and what a thrill to think I might one day be given the job to go out and commission those people and, and work with them and bring them in mm. and it's the overall vision isn't it it's not it's mm. not a, it's not a sitting back and let everyone, everyone else do everything but actually it's it's, the, it's that singular vision for all those people as a team that, that will you know be the, the making or breaking of a job mm. I've worked with amazing art directors who've done very little and, and been very subtle with the nudges they've given me as you said about the individuality, I let me flourish in my own way. But I actually stepped in at the perfect moment and actually honed in on details that I might not have had the vision to see. Yeah. And made it something much stronger and actually given me a whole new direction. So it is a real subtle art, but uh, and I think that's yeah. why it's probably an a, a, a intangible thing that's quite difficult to um, well, it's, I mean, express. There's also a difference between um, collaboration and uh, democracy. I'm not... <coughs> I, um, I tend to shy away from absolute democracy. I mean, we've had all kinds of issues in the past where we're talking about what work we should put on our website or, or in our portfolio, if you like, or whatever. Um, and there's always that issue about well, someone uh, feels strongly about one piece of work, someone else thinks it's wrong, it doesn't represent. Mm. So someone somewhere has to take control and be the be the. Um, the casting vote, and I'm afraid that's nearly always me, but, yeah. but because it's my company, and I've always sort of. Bit at the, I mean, at the end of the day, if if there's, if there's a consensus, then great, I'll probably go with it. But if there really isn't, and people can't make their mind up, then I'd have to say, okay, well, I'm just going to say what we're going to do, and yeah. I'll stand or fall on that decision. But um, I do think you can end up with mediocrity if you just go for democracy. I completely agree. Oh, there's the a whole shirt slogan there, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> Without a doubt. Oh, I'm going to work on that one. <laughs> it's often, well, I mean, the, the jobs, it's not often that I really dislike working on it. But where that has happened has inevitably been down to that, to too many cooks and no one making a call mm. and no one taking charge. You know, and that's what happens. It becomes this you can't always please everyone. We all, you know, I think every creative needs to understand that. And actually, you need to yeah. know who your market is. <clears throat> So when that's the case, and you are trying to please everyone in a corporation, for example, then actually that's why you end up with quite soulless, oh, you know, mediocrity, totally. as you said. Um, totally. And yeah. sometimes you, you get so close to something, you can't even uh, look at it objectively anymore. And um, so we're all guilty of that. And if you're mm. if you're constantly browbeaten by a client to keep it, you know, keep it um, palatable, keep it clear, um, legible. Etc. 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 You will end up with something that actually is is like weak tea. You know, yeah. it just it just does nothing to anybody. It mm. doesn't stimulate them or excite them. It doesn't even grab their attention. Yeah. And that's that's that thing about giving people what they expect. And I I'm, I totally oppose market research on any level for that reason because that way you're never you're always just going to give people what they want. Yeah. Um, or what they expect, not what they want, mm. just what they're already giving. Yeah, and so an existing school It's the same way as I've got older, I've stopped chastising myself for not winning awards because it's it's based on an existing school of thought. And actually, mm. what I've always tried to do is, is stick to my guns and hone this very niche but actually really human style <clears throat> to yeah. the point where people really emotionally invest in that. And okay, it might not ever be out there in you know high street, high street shop window, but what mm. it is doing, it's really pleasing the people that do love it. And yeah. therefore, and I you know if I win an award, fantastic. But if I don't, so what? It's, 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 kind of, it's always an opinion. That's I totally agree with you, and, and even I'd probably take that even further because um, we we will never win any awards now because they don't enter any. Yeah. <clears throat> we haven't entered any awards for about 15 years. I, I think it's... 
I think it's nonsense, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I really do. I mean, all, you know, people were slapping each other's backs for years. I watched it going on when I was at university with DNAD and that did, when that evolved into this monster, which, it, you know, it's good because DNAD does support students, it supports new talent, etc., etc. But it's, it's, it's old-fashioned... Um, it's old-fashioned mm -hmm. policy. Uh, it's all sort of... Um, I don't, mind, I don't know much about education across the board, but I do, I do understand that there's certain things about, you know, um, achievement, points for achievement, winning, 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 mm. gaining certain levels of, of achievement all the way through. I understand that, but, it, you know, I don't want someone else to tell me if they think my work's good mm -hmm. and what, on what basis. Yep. I'd rather not be in the, in the game, you yes. know. Um, if I thought our business was suffering as a result of it, then... I would probably address it and discuss it with my colleagues at work. Mm. I don't think it has. In fact, by being in a in a in that fortunate position where you don't have to worry about winning awards and being in the public eye, and also being in a position where you can actually turn work down, yes, you don't have to feel that pressure all the time. Mm. My, my pressure is to the people I've committed to, yep. the, the the clients who we've said, yes, we'll do your job, we'll deliver it on time, we'll try and deliver it on budget, and we'll do a fantastic job if we possibly can. I'm not that bothered about whether they give me an award at the end of it. Yeah, it is pats on the back. And also, I mean, you mentioned education. I'm on a, I'm on a big um, kind of... I'm really channeling my... What's the word... I don't know, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of worried at the moment about the whole off-the-back-of-tuition fees. And it actually goes back to what you were saying about the collaboration and that, that working that way. Um, what's happening at the moment, I can't actually name universities, but I know from having lectured at, at certain universities that actually some of them have dropped the interview process because they need to make the numbers up to, to pay the tuition fees. That's a damning precedent because well, what happens there, it's not only does it undermine the tutor in a further education institution but you can't take away quality control and criticism how do you learn you know and and also what if that person's not meant to be going down that path and they, and they need to be go and find what they are good at you know it's like anyway that it's going off track but it, it, it comes back to that actual it's getting it's getting in a messy room and spending time with other creatives playing and finding who gets along with who that will bring way better results than checking boxes yeah. and and you know, the tutors are now under pressure to give a certain amount of firsts on degrees. Mm. It's complete bullshit. You know, it's mm, just like I got, it I got two one, but I didn't care. No one's ever asked me what I got at university. No, not no. one. I think one client said, "Where did you study?" That's as far as the inquisition's gone, mm. because you've got a portfolio and a personality, and, and that's what truly matters. Um, Agreed. Mm. So Agreed. going back, so going back to that, I mean, I one of the, again one of the intriguing things that I, I read about you and Style Rouge was um, that you had a. Am I right in saying you had an appreciation of images that work on a subconscious level? Um, <laughs> and and, and in, particular, in particular reference, I, I, going back to that whole, the whole Blur back catalogue, me growing up as a kid, every one of those albums and singles, albeit how crazy some of them looked, the early singles, you know, things like mm. Chemical World, the <coughs> horse and the... Was it Brooklyn yeah, Bridge yeah. In, the, in the background? I can't remember. It was, it was cheesy. I mean, <laughs> the Blur thing's slightly different because we were always being quite ironic uh, mm. obviously um, and, it, and it kind of emanates from the, lo the logo as much as anything else because we realised that the way to, to get a logo that we were happy with, that the client was happy with, was actually to treat it like it wasn't for a band at all um, and there was a, there was a lot of um, uh, backlash to consumerism at the time, in, in, our, in my mind anyway and we ended up, I mean, the, the, the things that I think the Blur logo remind me of now um, are um, Brother, the typewriter company, as it was then. Oh, yeah, another um, one, yeah. Yeah, Bounce, which was a sort of product you put in your, your tumble dryer to make your, <laughs> <laughs> your clothes smell nice. Yes. Um, there's, a, there's a few other, a couple of other references. They weren't deliberate, but by the time we finished drawing that, because it isn't a font, it was just drawn very simply, only to hour or something to knock it up mm. but then it kind of made it obvious to us what we should be doing and that's like selling blur almost like it wasn't music at all yeah like the band wasn't a, a band but it was a product because that's the way they felt themselves to be they were being a bit cynical about the, mm. the business you know at the, t at the time leisure came out um, first of all there were lots of bands who had shortened names 
And, and this was to do with the, for me, it was to do with the kind of miniaturisation of your life of packaging as much as anything. And I think this is subliminal. I've gone off, I've gone off track here, no, it's but good, I'll it's come good. back. Um, there were bands like Pulp, Ride, Cud, lots of monosyllabic... Swede. Swede. Yeah, <laughs> very short names that looked good on a, on a CD. And all the names that were popular in the 60s and 70s, like, you know, New Riders of the Purple Sage or whatever they, they you know, crazy shit they came up with then, was, was completely outmoded. And now we were talking about short, sharp, you know, this is selling. We're talking about selling now. You've got mm. a good, memorable name. And I think there's something something in that that was genuine yeah. uh, in Balsmine, David Balsmine. But there was also something that was quite cynical about it as well. So I think we picked up on that, and um, so the, the other main thing that was happening in the record industry, it was almost like it was going back to the 60s, the only thing you needed to do was to put a picture of the artist, a head and shoulders portrait of the artist on the cover, mm. put the name on it clearly, near the top in the old days, and that's all you needed to do, and, and to be absolutely honest, you know, hundreds, maybe even thousands of the covers we've done in our time, have been, you know, portraits of artists with names on. Fair enough. There's a market for that sometimes. Mm. But the, the great thing about working with Blur was that they were in, they were on our side of the fence. We were with them, part of their team, and having fun. They were having fun with our world. We were having fun with theirs. And and they, they, there were no losers. The, mm. You think the record companies would be up in arms about? you know, being the butt of the joke to some degree, or at least their method of, of marketing. But, but the reality was that everyone won because Blur became hugely successful. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, so for instance, the, the leisure cover, which is um, a vintage image of a woman wearing a bathing hat, <laughs> is, is the answer to the record company's dream record cover which is a head and shoulders picture of someone but it's of someone no one knows who the hell it is and it's brilliant because actually for, for many years as a kid I thought that was I thought it was Damon Albarn in drag <laughs> <laughs> and um, but it's, it's interesting because yeah, even at that age I think that came across that that pseudo brand mm. that, you, that you referenced that, that actually came across to me quite strongly even at that age which said to me that it was actually it was working very successful like you say it's that subconscious mm. reference of these kind of brands that as a kid I had no idea I was digesting but I probably was knowing that I actually got yeah. the reference on a subconscious level which is quite a thing yeah. and I mean like the Park Life one for example I, you know it screams um, bookmakers red top newspapers and grandstands yeah. to me you know yeah. that, that like you said that that day well as I've read up on, but the you know the the, the greyhounds in the in the book in, in the bookie's window and that kind of thing, yeah. and that lad culture, it, it, it embodied that in in such a subtle, striking manner that it's it's timeless and it's brilliant, and it is I, I suppose it is of a time, but and the same with the Great Escape, it almost it was almost like the the kind of peak of that mid nineties mm-hmm. um, cool the whole cool Britannia brand that was sort of built up yeah. around everything as well. Um, I think that happens. Um, that happened almost. Um, it's a, it's a bit like, you know, I have to be honest, one of the things that I uh, get a little bit worried about is spending too much time talking about our work for Blur, because it was mm. just uh, one particular project over a very short period of time, it was about like five years, but um, but it, it doesn't, it, 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 to me it isn't as important as some people make, make it out to be, because obviously they were successful. It was fantastic for us, and I've got a lot to thank them for forever. Um, in the same way that it was great that we were involved in the train spotting project, because people will always say, "Oh, you're well known for that." But um, and, and yeah, I suppose in that respect we are. And I don't want to be begrudging. I just wish other people knew a little bit more of the other work we've done. Yeah, so, but, but the, it, what adds um, what adds a little bit to that down. feeling of. Um, Frustration about Blur, I suppose, is that most of our most uh, memorable covers that we've done for them um, are about appropriate misappropriation of imagery. Yes, they're not really about creation of imagery, and that's uh, to be upfront about that. I mean, you can't. Uh, yes, we created a few images for them, and I'm quite proud of the ones that we did create. But what I'm most happy about, I suppose, is the fact that. It kept the momentum going through four albums. Mm. Um, 
when I think back, we've got four album covers, all of which used stock imagery, what you would call stock imagery. And it's not, it was never our intention to do, mm. to do that. I suppose what happened was that the, the, the visuals that we were contriving, there was probably a, a reaction from the band themselves about maybe trying too hard. It, everything that you contrived felt like you were already um, towing the party line with the record companies. You were actually creating art that wasn't really art. I, I've never thought about that before actually, you've got me thinking about that. <laughs> That's when I know I'm going to do a job as an interviewer. <laughs> but no, I, I, um, I find that fascinating because actually what's happened in my own in my own career thus far, often the work that I work with, a, a sort of small but actually quite a, a broad range of bands, and what I've found is, I don't, I don't have the, at this point, you know, I'm getting, well, I'm not going to name figures, but I'm not getting a lot from some of these bands, they're, they're very new and it's always bands that I've bought into their, to them inherently to the point I actually want to work with them create that back catalogue of, of releases and, and really work together to develop so what happens is you know there'll be occasionally a band where I think actually my full on 100% illustrative style is not going to be appropriate for that but I don't have the money to go out and commission the right person mm. so my compromise has been just that has been finding existing imagery that I actually can use and misappropriate mm. and, and and I actually an early activator in was, was learning that actually the Fat Life cover was a stock image so I thought, that's interesting. Okay, I say I don't even have the money to go and buy a stock image, so what I tend to do is work with either the photographers that I know, Mm. and we swap favours, or, brought an example to show you, I've worked with a musician called Dirty Freud, who's a good friend of mine, he's an electronic musician. Recently, and this image that I used um, to sort of apply my lettering style to, um, I bought a box of these photographs from a a junk store in Brighton, um, and these are very old images, and actually, you know, it's, it's these sort of people that obviously been these loved images, family photographs, but they're, they're fascinating um, sort of images to work with and actually sort of distort and destroy and repiece and actually create, again, that misappropriation, turning it into actually quite a horror sort of dark feel in this one when, when actually, when you look at the originals, it's quite a, you know, a family heirloom almost. Um, but I, I find it a fascinating challenge, actually, to, to nudge that image somewhere else. It's, it, it's, um, <clears throat> for me, it's resourcefulness as well. I mean, I, it, I often uh, uh, sort of suggested home, home snaps, you know, sort of family snaps and things for record covers. Um, but, but we have had our fair share of people come to us with family snaps and mm. said, can we use these for... And you, you, your heart sinks a little bit because then it be, it's a different thing. It's, it's emotive, it's sentimental, yes. it's... But, but when you're doing something like what you're doing, that's, it, yeah, it forces your creativity, I suppose. Well, it does. There's, there's, no, there's, atta- no, there's no attachment or previous context to that image. No. So, so me, then I take it completely into a new world, you know, bringing an image that's likely from like the 1930s into 2015. Yeah. For an electronic musician, is, a, is, is for me, I, I get my juices going creative with, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and actually, you know, I find it a really fascinating thing to work with. You I know. think that's it. You've also hit on something else, which is something that um, I've, I've um, not really, well, it's, it's always been a frustration again, and that is um, when you're working at a lower budget level, which we have done, I mean, you know, there have been times when we've, we've looked at the the attributes of a project and gone, yeah, well, we'd like to be involved in this, whether the whether the budget is sensible or not. Um, what tends to happen is we we uh, propose the trade-off that okay, well, if we if you haven't got much money, we'd like to do what we want to do, and that's the way the project starts, and you end up you know halfway down the line that the people actually want to achieve something that's a bit more commercially viable than mm. they originally agreed to, and it t- it takes you a bit off track, and you suddenly find yourself not achieving what you what anyone really wanted whereas if you are saying right from the start I am in control of this I'm going to do what I want and I don't care if there's not much money you, you end up probably with a more creative solution I um, agree more. And the, you know that's that's the downside of what we've done over the years is that working with major record companies you end up losing some of that creativity in favor of getting it right from the marketing point of view yeah and um, there's nothing wrong with getting it right from a marketing point of view. In fact, it, it kind of helps the people who, who are paying your wages succeed enough to pay you more um, <laughs> and give you more work. Um, but it's nice to have that mixture of clients so that you can try those odd things yeah. every now and then. 
Yeah, I could, yeah, it, it's completely. So, so, so um, in terms of style of rouge and the work you've done, you I mean you you work as you mentioned train spotting. We won't go too deep into that because it's been been done. But film posters. I mean, music. How did how did that happen? Was that was that just something that, that branched off from the the work you've done in music? Um, we, well, we first of all we fancied giving it a try anyway. <clears throat> um, but um, when we were working for um, oh, I don't know. It was, in, it was in our first five years or so, I think. Someone who, who saw our work for bands came to us and said, we've got a music-related film. There was a British, um, a British film distributor called Mainline Pictures, and um, the film in question was called Baby It's You, mm -hmm. which is a lovely film directed by John Sayles. Uh, great soundtrack, 60s kind of nostalgia thing. And um, just loved the whole process of doing a film poster. Um, for whatever reason, just thought, yeah, we could do a lot more of this. And, and that work just kind of carried on rolling in from Mainline Pictures. And in fact, Mainline Pictures also commissioned us to do the UK poster for Spinal Tap. Mm. Well, this is Spinal Tap. Yeah. Which was hilarious because I really didn't know anything about the film when I was sent to a preview in Notting Hill and coronet and Notting Hill and I literally sat in the theatre on my own to watch a preview and I was about 15 minutes in before I thought I can't, this can't be for, for real I mean I really <laughs> it, it really was because no one knew anything about this film they just bought it from the, from the American distributor oh wow um, but the, yeah so we carried on doing film posters for lots of London based film companies Palace Pictures Virgin um, Virgin Films mainline pictures and then eventually um, Polygram mm. who, who were kind of uh, are now universal I believe and uh, yeah they gave us two or three projects one of which was tra well train spotting was a kind of a pitch um, yeah which apparently we won yeah <laughs> <laughs> Although we, didn't, we didn't get to um, we didn't get to profit too much from it because we didn't get the whole campaign, unfortunately. But mm. we got the um, we got to actually create and art direct the mm. the initial posters, so yeah. that was good. Which was which was stunning. I mean, brilliant, the nail on the head type stuff. Obviously, a, you know, it had to be to become as cult as it did. But um, I mean, at the moment, I find film posters um, on, on the whole, you see some really amazing ones for the sort of smaller independent films, mm. but. What I'm seeing at the moment, you know, the stuff you see on the underground, it's just become so banal and, and mainstream friendly. With I know, I know what you're saying. <coughs> yeah, uh, I think there's, um, there's more. I think there's always been more pressure on movies. Um, if you if you're not an art movie, if the film's not an art movie, it's got to compete and get bums on seats because that is the the, the killer. You know, the do or die of a movie. Mm. If you don't get like a certain amount of people go and see the movie the first week of release, then the, the, the distribution network just erodes and nothing and like the next week you don't get anyone to take the movie yeah um, and quite often you know up front quite often a movie's made and they'll know straight away it's going to go straight to DVD mm. um, and never get a theatrical release um, but the other thing is you've got to take the chance and um, so I can understand the reason why they've got to make it very clear in their marketing. This is a thriller. This is a comedy. Of this is a yeah. rom-com. This is a, and um, but it, it, I, I hear you. I mean, sometimes I just, I think what you have to do is um, go for small victories. And if you can make something that's unremarkable in its marketing message, if you like, look gorgeous in its design quality, yeah. then. You, you know, you're, you've at least got halfway there. Yeah, it's true, um, it's true. And there is, there's always, in the same way that any major commercial advertising campaign, there's so much money goes into it and so much pressure on it that actually full freedom that you would get by, no. you know, working on, a, on an independent one, for example. No, it's but, true, it's the same so, thing. So you started, was it, was it the late 80s, Stalo Rouge? Uh, 81. So as a company who started then, how have you found adapting, you know, to sort of... I mean, the, the rapid enhancement of technology now that, we, that we're seeing. That our well, I suppose it wasn't as rapid early on. I mean, <clears throat> I remember to this day the, the first time we got a computer in-house because we'd been um, going out of house to use computers um, and it was with very expensive equipment and it cost us a lot of money so we, we kind of understood the value of it 
um, we wouldn't suggest to any client that we did something that involved um, whatever you call it, computer graphics, yeah. <clears throat> unless we knew that they were prepared to spend money. Yeah. Um, but it did mean spending anything up to £300 an hour mm. on these very... I mean, in those days, people were willing to spend that much money on getting something that no one else could mm. do. Um, and, and then when we finally got a computer in, it was, in those days, top of the end, top of the range, Apple Mac with loaded with Photoshop and what have you. <laughs> and the, the, the ridiculous thing was we all just sat around and started playing with it until seven, eight o'clock in the evening and then ran out of memory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But yeah. So we realized then we were going to have to make a substantial investment in it. Yeah. Um, so a huge amount of our income from the following sort of five years, ten years probably, went into buying hardware and software and yeah. it, it becomes a bit of a noose around your neck. You, you end up putting yourself in, in hot to software, you know, to, to um, technology. Yeah. And then by the time you finish, or by the time you're close to finish, finishing paying off what you bought, it's, it's out of date anyway. Yeah. Um, but nowadays I just uh, enjoy the fact that it is so good and it means you can work quickly. Yeah. The downside is that everyone can work quickly. Well that's it, yeah, yeah. yeah. You have to, it's the, I guess it's the core values then that you learn in the first place. Yeah. That you, when you make, when you use that as a tool then, then that's how, I guess, how you rise above because it, you know, it's a swarmed market now. So yeah. I think what's, what's um, made us more um, level-headed about it is the fact that we do um, video work as well. So that being a time-based medium, very I keep having to remind clients that it is a time-based medium. If you say it's going to take three days to edit and grade this and do this, that and the other, and then the next day they're phoning up saying, how's it getting on, can we see it? You've just got to say, look, it's despite the technology, yeah. it's three days' work. It's not three days' work we can cram into one yeah. because it's time-based. And that gives you a, a you know, you make, it makes you feel stronger about about being firm with clients about what you can and can't well, yeah. deliver. Um, so despite the fact I do crumble sometimes when people say, I want it quicker, and go, okay then. Yeah. Um, the, the bottom line is, things take as long as they should take. If you yeah. don't allow some, it's like infusing a cup of tea. You can't dunk a tea bag in a no. cup and expect it to taste as good as if you let it yeah. soak for a while. <laughs> That's a good analogy. <laughs> it's rubbish, actually. <laughs> I'll, I'll work on it. So what, what, what are the sort of recent projects? What have you been working on there? Or what have you got um, up? Well, there's the project I'm going to tell you about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've just finished uh, an album coming for Squeeze, merchandise for Squeeze, website, etc. etc. Um, the cause, <coughs> the cause are back. If you if you know the cause were in the first place, they were. Um, I think they finished about 11, 12 years ago. Okay. Um, it's, it's really weird how many people have forgotten or didn't know who they were. I suppose if they weren't part of your life when they went. Um, but they're, <coughs> you, you would, I mean, they're three very good looking sisters and a brother yeah. from Ireland. I thought um, it's, it's, weird, it's weird to me that people wouldn't know who they are, but um, they're making a comeback, so that's been a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal from a record company point of view. Um, and again, getting the messaging right on that is pretty difficult because we have to try and make them look relevant to now. Mm. Um, but we still don't want to alienate any of their um, any of their sort of fan base from when they stopped. Yeah. Um, excuse me. <clears throat> they they were a pop band. I mean, they never had the you know the kind of uh, credible rock band artistic sensibility in, in a way it was just they're great musicians and they happen to write good pop songs so mm. they had hits yeah <laughs> make it sound so simple don't I um, well I mean it's the crux of uh, popular music I guess I suppose it is I mean <laughs> you know I've just got so much history of pop music that I'm, I just wonder how anyone who's who's been born like who's been born in the last 20 years can possibly catch up with so much good stuff yeah and in my house, when I grew up, there was, you know, everything from like Duke Ellington and Nat King Cole and Ella Fitzgerald, through to the Beatles and 
you know, stones and but everything in between. And, yeah. And you know, once you've got the taste for music, you want to absorb it all. Mm. And um, if you want to do that now, you've kind of got so much more work to do. It's, so much more homework. It's true, actually. There's, it's almost infinite, <clears throat> isn't it? It is. It is. <laughs> It's, um, and what about moving forward then? I mean, you know, I mean, what are, the, what are your sort of ambitions for Style of Rouge moving forward? Do you, do you, do you, do you no, just follow never, the organic trail and just I see where it I leads do, you? I do, I do. I'm really, you know, anyone will tell you that. My wife will tell you that. I just let things happen, unfortunately. I mean, I, 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 I'll plan things maybe uh, months, a few months ahead, mm. but I've never had a great vision for anything. And I just think, you know, I know that really sounds terrible that you've got no ambition, but at the same no, time, no, it's... I uh, agree. I mean, things will present themselves and there will be times when you feel, when you've got the right energy inside you to want to push things. Um, and if you put a plan together, you know, it's very much a small boat. Star yeah. Rouge is a very small boat. And, uh, you know, if you try and behave like an ocean liner, something's going to go badly wrong. Yeah. Um, I've, I've never wanted to compete with other people on, on the basis of, I want that job that that other person's got. Mm. I'll, I'll feel upset if I lose. A pitch for a job, um, but you've got to move on, and the, yeah. you've got to do uh, accentuate the positive as the song goes. You do. It's the, it's the, same, it's the same thing. Mm. The, the reason I'm doing this, and the reason I brought out a book, and the reason I'm and whatever else is because I, I just respond to intuition and, and motivation, which you can't switch on, can you? You know, mm, no. you just have to ride it when it comes, uh, and that hence why you know a 14 hour day is not out of the question because I love what I do and when, when I'm on one of those uh, exciting periods when you've got ideas flowing yeah. you just have to do it because there will be days when you can't switch that on for love no money and, and, <coughs> and oh, then that's when you have to go out and actually just fill the mind with new things you know I think I mean yeah I mean I think on a personal level rather than on a business level um, my, my ambition would be to make those 14 hour days actually work for me personally so I feel like I've, I've achieved something creative because I do you know underneath it all I do feel like I've I've won two hats and I'm using both sides of my brain in sometimes very disparate amounts and I would love to be much more on the creative side yeah but that would probably mean that I'd probably you know starve because I've forgotten to do the billing or something <laughs> and, and that would that would be a, a shame you know I'm, I've got other people who, who's salaries they've got to pay and I want to make sure that the company continues to mm. thrive and earn enough money to pay the salaries so that's but but from a personal creative level I would love to do more artwork I mean I love photography I do I mm. do photography as a paid part of what I do now yeah. so I was looking I at your website that. it's some really nice work thank you I, you know it's just something I really enjoy doing but I'd also like to do some painting and I've never been a painter mm. you know literally not since school and I'd like to do something really expressive. I mean, we, we had an exhibition about a year and a half, two years ago, which was a Style of Rouge exhibition, but we, we took the rather brave or foolish move to not make it about our previous work, but to make it about what we would do if we had a completely free hand. So everyone, the, I think there were, at this point, there were nine or 10 of us in the company, and it was about, um, and a couple of people who were engaged to do it who had recently left the company. Mm. So we made it a group show and it was it was fun and it was brave, um, but people don't know, know us as artists. So although it was an interesting exhibition and we had a really good opening night and we had a really good closing party, <laughs> there wasn't much in between. <laughs> but, but what it did was it allowed you to flex your muscle and do some something that was personal to you. Yeah, take off the shackles a little bit, I guess. Oh, absolutely. There was no, no client telling you what to do. Yeah. Um, and it was amazing how people were very forthright and got on with it. And they mm. didn't, they didn't, you know, sort of fanny around for too long. It's like once the idea was down, it's like their, their work discipline gave them that um, impetus to go, okay, now I know what I'm going to do. Here's the deadline. I'm going to go ahead and do it. Mm. And it was, it was, I was very, very proud of everyone sort of putting that together. Not much sold, but that's not really the important thing. It's not, and you learn, you know, you can't be so naive as to think that that's that's the end of it. You know, yeah. there's <clears throat> everything's got positive. Like we said about looking for positives, you know, it's um, you learn so much from from every experience, and especially something quite refreshing like that. You know, I'm sure yeah. it opened up new ideas that will actually then more than compensate for any lack of sales in the future. Oh, well, I think it did. I think it just sort of it stimulated everyone's um, yeah creative buds really, and. Um, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I'd love to do it all the time. 
I'd yeah. really love to do that all the time, but it's just not feasible unless I won the lottery. And well, I that's it. That's lottery. the reality, isn't it? And, and the problem facing most artists who did this for the love in the first place. Yeah. Not, that you, not that you can't continue to do it for the love. I, I do all the time, but mm. like you say, to actually just do what the hell you want with no other thought to anything, that's not it's a very, very rare thing, I think. I, I and, think you know. it's true. I think it's true. I mean, yeah. as, a, as a company now, I'm really happy with the work we do. and you know that that's fine um, there's lots of pressure at the moment because it's been very busy <clears throat> and that's what happens when you've got a small company and you go through a busy period you've just got to you've just got to hold back and not knee jerk and suddenly you know employ another couple of people and then think later <laughs> uh oh you know yeah now we've got the quiet months and that will happen yeah i think it happens to, i always say this to, to new students don't be fooled by anyone's client list because we're all always facing that next quiet spell no matter what level or who you work for it's yeah. just um, it's just the reality of the, the world we work in I think it is I think it is I, th- I think there's that if you're striving for that kind of um, you know market share all the time I just think you it, it's a high, you're on a hiding to nothing I think you end up feeling it's not me personally that's not mm. my that's not the kind of person I am and I'm not not hugely motivated by money um, I, I like not having to worry about not having money yeah. at the times when I've had that uh, status but um, no I just don't see the point in being driven like that um, it's, mm. never, it's never been of any interest to me no. I, I've always preferred team sports for that reason I don't want to be a winner I want to be part of a winning team yeah I completely um, agree actually yeah yeah it's, it's um, yeah I think it's a good way to go personally so the last thing I always ask um guests on the show I have a, a weird little, little thing called the shark in the tank because my favourite individual piece of art is Damien Hurst's physical impossibility of death in the mind of someone living um, so I ask, ask someone to name something they either it could be an all time thing a thing of the moment just something that either inspires you or pisses you off or it could be anything from a poster <laughs> to, a, to, a, to a, a theme absolutely anything but just something that effect, you know <laughs> gets a reaction out of you I guess um I don't know where this came from, but there's something uh, something I've always admired is the simplicity of um, a, a very clever and visually pleasing piece of design, and it it, um, it won't mean much as, as this is um, sort of audio, uh, but you might be able to find it somewhere online. Um, there was a, I think it was a Japanese restaurant in Hampstead um, called Zen, and it just had a brilliant a brilliant logo, um, which was the word Zen in capitals going round the four sides of a square. So the N of the Zen became the Z of the Zen. Oh, okay. so, yeah. so for me, something like that is like, I've, I've kind of aspired to design that's simple and has a great idea in it like that always. And, uh, and my current, it's actually probably always inspired my interest in ambigrams, mm. which uh, if you're not careful, ambigrams can kind of take you over and you become some kind of weird nerd <laughs> making up your own hobbit language. But um, if they work, if you, if you look at a word and you go, my God, this is going to work, you know, I'll work on that for 20 hours. Uh, for, and, and then look at it at the end of it and go, hmm, it didn't quite work. <laughs> but um, no, that's that's the yeah. Uh, that's probably it's a it's a weird thing to say, but um, that's a really good answer. <laughs> and so, where's the best place people can go see your work? Um, <clears throat> the website's a little bit out of date, if I'm absolutely honest. But that's probably the best place at the moment. And we just started a blog, which is called Thirty Three and a Third. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'll give you the details of that just because I can't remember exactly what the URL is. <laughs> and what, what that is is just an ongoing collection of old record sleeves uh, yeah. of ours and we'll add to it um, exponentially and, uh, and, and every now and then um, we'll add notes about how the designs came to be. So mm. we used to have um, quite a big back end, if you pardon the expression, on, the, on our website which is like really a history and that was there for people who just love the, the kind of silly stories behind the designs. And quite often it might be a student or whatever who's interested. Yeah. And we're trying to get rid of that history at the moment from our official website and put some of it somewhere. Yeah, give it its own so, space. Yeah. Cool. Brilliant. Well, it's been a pleasure. And uh, thanks for your time, Rob. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers. Once again, I do apologise for the noise in that podcast, but I think we got away with it for the most part. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Rob O'Connor as much as I did. Uh, I think any Blur fans out there will uh, 
will be quite uh, quite primed for that one, and I hope they've really taken something away, a nice little little insight to how all that fascinating uh, branding and, and art direction came about. But uh, for me, as an illustrator working now with a, a minimum of experience under my belt, it's it's a real honour to be meeting guys like this and from the previous conversation chatting to people like John Newbegin and I can't preach it enough to just get out there and try to find these people yourself I don't care whether it's someone who's a year down the line three years down the line I think anyone with more experience in our industry is certainly worth uh, a coffee or a pint with if you can make that happen uh, and I, I think you have to make the most of the things going on around you and I'm I'm learning with every interview here and I hope you guys are taking as much away let me know, hit us up on the Twitter at ArrestAllMimix and as ever on the email ArrestAllMimics at gmail.com we're there, we're ready, I check on a regular basis these things, we want to hear from you hit us up at Illustration Limited too go and check out the new website, the agency have just launched, uh, it's a fantastic layout much more dynamic, really engaging stuff and there's a whole new section on there, so if you want to go and explore further the cool things that we're doing uh, at Illustration Limited, then go and check out the new section, there's editorial reports on cool projects, we're chatting to commissioners of those uh, of those briefs and some really engaging stuff going on and they're continuing to, to work with me on this podcast and we're, you know, this is six episodes now, I didn't even think we'd get this far and the feedback's been tremendous, people are really buying into what we're trying to do, it's quite an honest open format and I hope informal and a nice conversational way of doing things and I think that's the way of the world and I think it's when you learn the most things, so keep the feedback coming, let us know as ever, any suggestions uh, guest suggestions content, recommendations things you don't like, things you do like, are we running too long? Some people have said it's a little too long, pushing an hour, other people have said that it's cool where it is because you really get to uh, emotionally invest in the conversation, so let us know uh, and ever, as ever thanks for uh, thanks for tuning in guys it uh, really means a lot, talk soon